Hey everyone, welcome to episode 125 of the End Focus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan. With me, as always, is Andrew Brown. Hello. And Tori Wassana. Hello, gamers. Is that gamers with a Z? Naturally. <laughs> cool. And this is content by gamers for the gamers. I take offence to that. Yeah, yeah I, I regret this. We've got a pack show this week. We're going to talk about the surprise Super Mario Brothers 35 anniversary direct. Uh, we're going to talk about Captain Tsubasa, Rise of New Champions, uh, Muncher's Odyssey, Moon, Assassin's Creed 3, again, much to our surprise, uh, Sayonara Wild Hearts, and uh, a little bit about Yes, Your Grace. So with that, let's uh, get right into the Super Mario news. Okay, rumours were doing the round, as they always do, that there was a Nintendo Direct incoming, uh, most other sensible people completely ignored them because we've been hurt so many times before but this time it did actually turn out to be true and uh, Nintendo dropped a Super Mario Brothers themed direct to celebrate the 35th anniversary now the first thing they announced was uh, not for Switch but uh, a independent device, uh, Super Mario Brothers Game & Watch which comes out November 13th contains the original Super Mario Brothers, the Lost Levels and has some uh, Game & Watch games including Ball in which uh, Mario starred as some weird robotic uh, <laughs> monstrosity <laughs> it's completely pointless but I pre-ordered one same <laughs> it hasn't got on sale in the US yet but I will oh. when it does Ah, God, I thought you would be the most resistant to this one, Andrew. But it's a cool collectible, is my viewpoint. I tried to resist it. I don't. I have no use for this. I mean, I already have <laughs> Super Mario Brothers and the Lost Levels, uh, but it has a clock in it, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I already have a house with a clock in the wall. But anyway. Um, yes. And a phone with a clock on it, and a PC with a clock on it. And... <laughs> A switch with a clock on it. <laughs> it's a collectible. Yeah. 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 I will play on it, but I will keep it boxed. Usually I just get rid of the boxes. Mm. Uh, next up is something that made me very happy. Uh, Super Mario 3D World is coming to Switch next year, February 12th. Uh, including, uh, looks like, extra content in Bowser's Fury. They didn't give much detail about that. Um, if it wasn't for Odyssey, I think 3D World would be my favourite modern Mario game. Uh, so I'm really pleased, and I definitely want to revisit this. Same. Online multiplayer. Yeah, but... <laughs> if it works. If it works. Not excited. Thought this game was really middling. Thought it was too uh, long, so... so I don't know why it needs more content now. So, eh. I thought it was great. No I excitement for here. Charmed the pants off. Uh, next up was uh, Super Mario Brothers 35. This is a Super Mario Brothers take on Tetris 99. So you play levels from the original Mario Brothers against 35 other players. Whenever you defeat enemies, they appear on other players' battlefields. Um now this was the first in some weird trend that Nintendo have started in this Direct, where this is only going to be available after it launches uh, until March 31st 2021. Um, they're not super clear on what happens after that, whether it's uh, 
unplayable after that date or whether it's just no longer available for download. That's super weird, but I'm excited by the concept because I was a, a huge Tetris 99 fan and uh, it's certainly going to be weird seeing this play out as a, as a platformer. Yeah, I think it's a, a cute little template that they've come up with and uh, it's an interesting take on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to feel about this one. Um, I, I like the concept. I don't see myself playing it much. It'll probably go the way of Tetris 99 for me. As soon as I win one, I'll never play it again and retire a champion. <laughs> so next up was something that definitely got me excited. Uh, Mario Kart Live Home Circuit, which is a Switch game with a physical remote control Mario Kart that has an AR camera. Um, I'm not usually one for the toys. I haven't really bothered with the Lego, aside from a couple of blind bags, just for you know things to have on my desk. This looks really cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Mario Kart, and I'm a big fan of augmented reality games. So this is like a dream coming true for me. <laughs> <laughs> I also think this looks really cool, but... Mm, the first thing I thought when I saw it was if I was 12 years old I would be really hot for this but I just I wouldn't use this all that much especially with the with the living space I have I wouldn't get good use out of it uh, yeah that's going to be the biggest hurdle for most I think yeah yeah but if I were to get this it would sit on a shelf and <laughs> that's an expensive thing to just sit on a shelf uh, I think it's really cool. I, I just can't use it to its maximum potential. <laughs> Again, I've pre-ordered. Um, excited to see the, the cats appear on the AR camera. <laughs> yeah, it would be... Um, the, one of the first things I thought of was um, Ribbon Road from uh, mm-hmm. the GBA uh, Mario Kart. Yes. But yeah, imagine that with cats. That would be... <laughs> Yeah, uh, when we started lockdown, I bought uh, slot cars, F1 slot cars, and uh, I was really excited to see how the cats would go, but they sort of gave it one look and then wandered off, so it might be a case of that, but (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah, so uh, next up, there's uh, lots of Mario events coming in Mario Maker, Smash, Splatoon, and Animal Crossing. Uh, They're all really cool. If you're still playing a bunch of those things, uh, we'll, we'll skip over that. Uh, next up was Super Mario All-Stars, available now on the SNES app. Uh, for some reason, I had it, I got it in my head in the direct that it was going to be a paid app. And I, I was hunting for it for ages on the on the store, and then realized what my mistake was. Uh, I had this originally when I was a kid. Uh, I loved this collection. I've seen a few people complain about the art style for the original Mario remake. It's fine. Yeah. It's just SNESified. It's It's fine. Yeah, it really just feels like slightly polished skins on on the original games, and they feel like the original games too. So, mm-hmm. but um, I've played all of these games many times before, so mm-hmm. it's cool to have it, but not not to play it, I guess. Well, all four of these games were already on the NES app, so it's kind yeah, of redundant. But <laughs> you know, it's another chance to play these games, so it's hard to complain too much. <laughs> Like, uh, I'll probably play Super Mario Brothers 3 next year on, on this instead of, mm-hmm. I usually play the original NES version, but, you know, 
this would be a, a little change of pace for it. Now, this was also my first ever playthrough of Mario Brothers 2. Interesting. Uh, at my school, everyone just hated it, so I never really bothered asking for it for Christmas or anything. And then when I eventually played it, I loved the hell out of it. Oh, yeah, controversial opinion. I think Super Mario <laughs> Brothers 2 is my favorite of the original wow. Mario games. I know. It's different, though. That's That, that was what was neat about it. I know it's mm. a reskinned uh, Japanese game before people send me angry tweets or yeah, Doki mails Doki or Panic. whatever. That's the one. I know the whole history. It yeah. Just, it brought in Shy Guys, so... Uh, and that led them nicely into the uh, one last announcement, which has been the much-rumoured Mario 3D All-Stars, uh, which is a pack that contains Super Mario 64, Sunshine, and Galaxy. Galaxy 2 misses out. Uh, for some reason, there's lots of theories about why that is and whether it was originally scheduled and got canned because of COVID or whatever like that. My theory is that they'll do a separate release or paid DLC for the, the pack. Uh, this pack gives us higher resolutions in all three games. Mario 64 will run in 720p when docked. Uh, Sunshine and Galaxy will run at 1080p. All games will be on 720 in handheld. Uh, widescreen support for Sunshine and Galaxy, which is the first for, for those, I think. Now, we there was a question about it, because uh, Galaxy was a Wii game. As with most of Nintendo's Wii games, it had a reliance on motion controls. Uh, waggling was very important. And we were worried, wondering about how it was going to play. Uh, the answer is that it doesn't have pro control support when it's docked, and handheld uses the touchscreen that both of these things kind of dampen my excitement for it. Yeah. Uh, I think it would have been nice if they could have, uh, you know, added more physical controls. So is that that you can't use the pro controller at all when docked, or is it just that the waggling is turned off when docked? I don't have the exact answer. I just thought it was completely not working. Okay. I saw snarky tweets. <laughs> you play with the Joy-Con, period. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll live with it, but I'd prefer a Pro Controller. Yeah. Um, yep, uh, it's going to have a music player with music from all the games. Uh, and then the thing that was really weird and caused a lot of confusion, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure if we don't have... A, you know, a reasonable answer to this, but uh, so they build it as a limited release, so it will stop being sold digitally on March 31st, 2020, much like with uh, Super Mario 35. Yeah, that's, that's a weird one, because, like, what's the net loss if you keep selling your digital copy of the game, what you spent time making? Yeah, the one theory that I'm... I keep hearing that I hope is the case is that they'll be available separately after that date. Mm. That this is more like a limited collection. And that and then Galaxy 2 will come out along with them. But it remains to be seen. Why not communicate that with the announcement? Yeah, I, I cannot see for the life of me that they'll just stop selling them altogether after, you know, putting dev work into it. I believe they did this with Four Swords on the DSi and uh, 3DS as well. My memory's sketchy on that. But that was a free release. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they have done it before. It's just weird that, that, that it's digital 
Yeah, I think it's also part of that thing where they're trying to drum up interest in it by making it sound limited and, you know, I hate it, but I've also completely fallen for it and pre-ordered the physical copy. Yeah, I've gone digital because I go digital mostly these days and at least, you know, if I lose my copy, I've still got it Mm -hmm. available for download, assuming Nintendo don't somehow go out of business. Uh, I think me and Andrew are both in that same boat where we... We want the physical collection until they prize them from our cold dead hands. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so have you pre-ordered this one, Andrew? I have. Uh, very excited to play Super Mario 64, because mm-hmm. it's, it's an all-timer. Like, It's so good, it's the reason my reaction to almost every other Super Mario game that came out after it was... It's okay. <laughs> it's good. It's just it's not Super Mario sixty four. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I'm very excited to play that. You know, for the billionth time. Uh, and Sunshine is flawed, but it's serviceable. And you know, Galaxy is there too. <laughs> I- I'm buying this for Super Mario sixty four. I- I'm sure I'll play all three games before the year is out, but. For me, the reason to get this package is the first game. <laughs> no, I've, n- I've never played either of the Galaxy games. Um, so this is a, a chance to put at least one of those right. I uh, sold my Wii when I was in England for a period, so I just didn't have the capability to play it when they came out. Uh, and I've since bought it again for my Wii, but I haven't found time to play it. So this, this is... a uh, going to be the best way to do it I think so kind of glad that I never got around to it uh, and I've never played more than an hour of uh, sun- Sunshine yeah I didn't grow up with the 64 I played Super Mario 64 at a, like a friend's place um, so Galaxy was actually the first Mario 3D game that I owned and played and I love it um, mm-hmm. maybe nostalgia goggles I don't know Well, we'll see when I replay it Sunshine I tried getting into I just I don't like it it's got charm it's just there's something about the way it controls I don't know yeah uh, it'll be also interesting to see how they manage the uh, the trigger stuff yeah the, the dual press trigger because it doesn't that... support the GameCube controller yeah <laughs> so I imagine it'll just be the shoulder buttons reappropriated but yeah probably yeah uh, and uh, Andrew, you you have an opinion on on this event, but for a different franchise. Yeah, if Zelda doesn't get a big brouhaha like this next year, I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna riot. I'm gonna be mad. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be mad. So, yeah, we need we need a collection of uh, Ocarina, Majora's Mask, uh, Twilight Princess, and Wind Waker. Wind Waker. Eh, you can leave out Wind Waker. Uh, <laughs> oh, hello, hello! Uh, <laughs> I want a game and watch. I want something on the Super NES app. I don't care what it is, but I want something on it. Uh, uh, I have the Zelda game and watch. Uh, that was a, a, a Christmas present from my dad's best mate, uh, and I've kept it ever since. Wow! I adore it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd like a, a re-release of that, maybe. And with uh, the original Zelda on it. <laughs> and I want an AR game. 
<laughs> Zelda cart with the motorcycle. I guess I was thinking more like a bow and arrow or something. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be cool. Link's uh, crossbow training too. I don't think the cats would have much fun with that. <laughs> I'm just being obnoxious, but anyway, <laughs> I, I do hope that there's a big event like this next year for Zelda, because next year is Zelda's 35th anniversary, and mm-hmm. forget Mario, Zelda's where's that? <laughs> I agree. Also, what about Metroid? <laughs> I think yeah. I think this year is actually Metroid's 35th. Maybe. <laughs> just just look at it, Nintendo. Just say the word Metroid. Nintendo doesn't care about Metroid. <laughs> no. hey, maybe they'll drop a surprise direct, because, you know, as far as everyone on the internet's concerned, they didn't care about anything this year. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, that's the Mario Direct. I thought it was pretty decent on the whole. I was, I was happy with most of it. Uh, the weird limited release thing aside uh so yeah so let's move on to what we've been playing okay i'm gonna kick this off uh so it's my second football game in a row this one is uh captain subasa rise of new champions uh so this is football meets uh melodramatic anime uh which you know from all accounts is andrew's worst nightmare well now, I've had no experience with Captain Tsubasa as, as a franchise. It's a, an old manga, I believe. It's fairly recently been turned into an anime. This new release is the latest in a long line of action games based on it. Um, for those in England that might not be aware of the anime, it's kind of like a Japanese Roy of the Rovers. Roy of the Rovers is an old comic strip uh, in the UK about a fictional footballer and a fictional team. Uh, it was pretty rubbish. I never liked it. So last, last week I played... Uh, Street Power Football, bounced off it, disliked it altogether. This I had no idea what I was getting myself into, where it makes a great first impression. So you start playing it, like all the controls uh, are exactly like FIFA and PES, so it just it feels natural. It's got interesting play waiting where it feels like a PS1 game, but it's still somehow fun and precise. Uh, but it's the mechanics that set it apart from... Uh, FIFA and Pro Evo so uh, you have a lot of meter management in this game so each character has a like a performance meter so you can build that up by doing good football, you can then spend it on uh, dodges so there's like a dash dodge you can do and a trick and if you do two in a row it speeds up your shooting meter so you can uh, hold shoot immediately as soon as you finish the second dodge uh, and then you can, if you get it to a certain point, you can unleash this like super powerful shot if if your character has one available. That is mostly how you score goals in this game. Like it's, I've not scored many normal goals, and you know, just in the natural flow of play, I've had a couple, but most of it has been these like super shots where it's got flashy effects. Like my, one of the characters, he shoots, and there's like a holographic tiger that appears behind him, and then the shot plays out in a cutscene where the keeper tries to. Uh, stop the ball sometimes they will sometimes they won't uh, it really mixes up that uh, the key moments of a real football match uh, with that there's uh, all kinds of special moves there's uh, there's been one doing the rounds on socials where a character stands on the ball on one foot and kicks it and rolls down the field <laughs> and then meets in a 1v1 that you know results in a massive explosion uh, it really is that 
out there in the middle of it. Uh, there are no fouls or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's the core of it is more about meter management and when to use it. So alongside the player meters, there's also like a team meter, uh, which when you fill it, you can activate it. It's called uh, V-Zone. Uh, that builds all your meters quicker. And if you save it, you can actually prevent uh, one of the like one of the hardest shots going in. Like it's a guaranteed save. I'll go into that shortly about why that's uh, super important. Uh, my only complaint so far is that graphics can feel a bit glitchy. Uh, so if you if you're on the ball, it's all fine. But if you look at non-active players during that time, they do like a weird running on the spot thing where it looks like they're at full pelt, but they're just constantly changing directions. Um, not entirely sure that's a stylistic choice. Uh, so the the main thing I wanted this game for was its campaign mode. It has a proper story. There's uh, just like real football, it's a game of two halves. By that I mean there's, there's two episodes as part of the story. So the first one is episode Subasa. Uh, this delves deep into Captain Subasa lore, charting his rise from a you know youth team player, and he's. Uh, trying to win the youth team championship for the third season in a row in this episode the story is set in stone uh, it's very visual novelly between the games uh, so there's a lot of dialogue to get through before you actually get to play uh, but the all the characters are interesting they're all weird caricatures and uh, lots of uh, bravado about who's going to do the goodest football in, in the upcoming match uh, there's Dialogue that references events that I imagine happens in the manga, uh, but you know, as the player, you would have no clue about it if you've never read it. So, hey, remember the fight in the cafeteria? No, of course I haven't. Uh, the weird thing is, when you get into the games, dialogue happens during the match. Uh, as you know, like if you take the ball off someone, off a key character, they'll, a bit of dialogue will flash on the side of the screen. This is super annoying because it covers the area of the pitch you're trying to play in or pass into. Um, especially annoying when there's two players talking at the same time because <laughs> it really narrows the window uh, and then in this mode there's a lot of predetermined events so some of it is that you, by getting certain players into certain positions and in possession of the ball it'll kickstart a cutscene which is like from the manga you're recreating famous things from from the source material Yeah. so they call this dramatic action demo uh, which they then abbreviate to DAD in brackets. But the only time they use the abbreviation is after spelling out the whole thing, removing the entire need for the abbreviation. That's kind of a weird thing, but yeah, there are absolutely these predetermined events, so like goals will happen for and against you in cutscenes, uh, whether you like it or not, which kind of ruins some of the, the idea about agency in the story campaign. The, the thing is, you've got to... This is where the meter management comes into play because you've got to think about each match as a boss fight rather than a traditional game of football. So each team you play will have some sort of quirk or an ability and it becomes a game about stopping that ability. So do you save your meter to stop the, the super powerful shot now or do you... You wait till later, are you banking on how many goals you can score before they get another chance? This is more in-depth in the next episode, I'll get into that very shortly. Um, so in this mode, all draws go to penalty shootouts. 
uh, I that was how I won most of my games in this first episode was in, was in the penalty shootouts. But weirdly, uh, the final has two win states: a win and a draw, which means the devs don't know how finals work. Um, <laughs> it's meant to be one team wins, not both team wins. And you know, if it's a draw, neither team won; they lost. Hmm. They shouldn't. They shouldn't get championships for that. Uh, so I had to replay the final match twice to get the actual official win, but it does give you a proper ending at the end. Uh, there's some really funny stuff that happens in this uh, story mode. Uh, my favourite was there was a player on another team who has a known heart condition. He collapses. Instead of stopping the game so he can get medical attention, the entire team just plays on to on his sacrifice. <laughs> It is so funny. Uh, he survives, thankfully, uh, and uh, is thankful that his team carried on for some reason, really damaging his health there. But uh, Next up is episode New Hero, which is what I think is the proper mode. Here you create a self-insert character who you play. You put in a, a team who will play against Captain Subasa's team. Uh, in this mode, you get a bit more agency, so you can make decisions for dialogue. Uh, you how well your character does in a match and you points, so you can uh, upgrade them. There's a number of ways you can do that. There's a status where you can spend earned ability points to improve your stats. You can select what type of moves your character has, like what type of power shots, how they dribble, what sort of tackling. Um, you unlock new moves by befriending people with this weird appeal system so before a game it picks uh, a bunch of like characters from various teams mixes them into like groups of five and then you need to pick one of these groups and then after the match you'll level up each of these characters and then once you go up a level one of them will teach you something it doesn't matter about rivalry whether on an opposition but you do get bonuses if if they're related to your character in some way uh some Types of moves you can only earn in the story when one of the the main characters earns it, uh, so it ties into like a you know mini subplot. Uh, and then there are also skills which are like player modifiers. So you you earn them a bit like loot, um, and there's things where it will like increase your passing range or in increase the amount of friendship points you can earn in the appeals. Uh, you can improve your stats in certain situations. So there's one called like Uspert that boosts all my status stats in the final third of a match when you know when you're really trying to give it your all um and then the second half of that is when all the key characters from the japanese leagues go and play for the international team at like a, a junior world cup uh where they play against other teams and that, that's where the uh, team gimmick thing really comes into play uh, and affects how you manage your meter and what what your strategy is for each game so, for example, the French team have a player who could, when his meter's full, he can practically score from any angle. So you, your V-zone meter, you ideally want to save that for whenever he's ready to shoot. Uh, so, yeah, it, it comes across as, you know, each team is a boss fight and you need to work out how to get around their gimmick, which is a really interesting play on, on the football formula. Uh, it really needs standard league and cup setup for longevity, I think. Uh, otherwise, you just look, when you beat the story, you're just looking at friendlies and online modes. I, I had a quick go of the online modes, played a couple of matches, won all of them. 
uh, yes, uh, enjoyed that quite a bit. I think I'm going to jump in some more on that. So yeah, so that that's the the crux of the game. Uh, I've made some jokes at its expense, uh, and that's because it's kind of rough around the edges. It's incredibly silly, but at the same time, I can't help but love it. Um. I can't explain why, I just had a, a goofy grin on my face the entire time I was playing it, because uh, it's like taking something I love, like football, and putting it in this like uh, weird scenario. Uh, and it comes across as a real breath of fresh air in what's become a very like po-faced genre. I think back to like the PS1 era, we had a lot of like football games that uh, you know weren't so bound to you know, realistic graphics or whatever. That I, you know, things like uh, red card soccer or Adidas power soccer, where it was, you know, very arcadey takes on that genre, and they've sort of died as as FIFA and PES have gone into that little realism battle. So, it, it on that element alone, it is a, a a lovely, like viable alternative to to the FIFAs. So yeah, I, I like it. It's it's unironically. Uh, one of my favourite games I've played this year, Warts and All. It sounds interesting because it yeah. sounds like they're kind of taking a sports game and combining it with an, an already established story. And uh, mm-hmm. do you think it does that well as well? Yeah, I, I I love the story. It's completely melodramatic, and it it's in line with those you know the long list of. Uh, manga and anime that uh, that show like people that are like hyper passionate about the silliest things um <laughs> yeah like you, bloodline you know, so, techniques and yeah and they um yeah it's, it's just it's so funny i i just kept laughing at it yeah so either mm. of you sold on on your first football game yet? i mean i played football games i used to play <laughs> i used to play soccer as a kid so <clears throat> Um, <laughs> um, so I I have lots of fights with Aussies about the whole soccer football thing, and uh, they always lose when I point out that soccer is short for association football. Yeah, it, it's just the thing of you know if I say soccer and you know what I mean, then you know whatever. If I say football, it's a bit more ambiguous in Australia when we have so many codes. Yeah, but they have two footballs. I, yeah. Well, three if you count actual football. And they're holding him with their hands most of the time anyway. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I feel like this might be like a sort of entry level to get back into a, um, football games. Mm. You know, something that's not so serious and not so realistic because that can be so off-putting getting into a new genre. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, I've always had like an eye out for it, so I think if I can get it for a good price, then I'd probably jump in. If I was ever going to play a football game, it would probably be one like this. Um, let me defend myself here. I don't really have anything against anime graphics. It's it's just I've played so many bad anime games at this point that I just <laughs> I see it as a warning sign for. Uh, story tropes that I'm not going to enjoy or appreciate. Um, <laughs> and as for sports games, I just, I don't get into the stakes of most sports games. Like, I, I don't give a rat's fart if Washington or Arizona wins the championship. They're going to be back next year. They're going to do it again, and somebody else is going to win. 
what difference <laughs> does it make? And I don't know any of the players. I don't know their stories. Like, that's what really gets me invested in something is a story. That's why I like watching sports dramas. Uh, like, like Miracle is a, is a great movie. It's about the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. And, like, it's a really good story. It's a story with... It's a, it's a sports event with stakes, so I, I really get into it. But, you know, if I'm just playing a hockey game with two teams, just one trying to win and neither team is more important than the other team, I, I don't know why I should care about one team more than the other because my local team does not automatically mean it's more important. I don't care. I don't know these people. Uh <laughs> That's why I am just generally disinterested in in sports games because, like, I could watch every game that me and Joe Green ever played in. He's more of a character in that coat commercial with the towel than he is in all of those games. So <laughs> I, I just I need something like what sounds like Captain Subasa provides to actually get absorbed in the game because just two teams chasing after a higher point score don't care. Yeah, it's uh, it's totally rough, but I, I I imagine if this team gets to keep making these, because uh, they hint at you know the team going to the World Cup, the the full World Cup, um, that could be interesting. Uh, I I really hope they get the chance to sort of refine what they've got here. Uh, so yeah, uh, let's move on. Let's, I've talked about that enough. Uh, Andrew, you've been playing Moon, uh, which is the game that apparently inspired Undertale. Yeah, it was a PlayStation 1 game back in the 90s, and it never got released outside Japan, as so often happened back then. And that was the big marketing hook for the Switch port it just got in the West, was uh, it's the game that inspired Undertale, never before released in the West. So I was like, okay, I enjoyed Undertale, I will play this. Um, then I played it, and I, I found out what this game is, is it's a bog-standard 90s adventure game where you wander around this world you talk to everybody and you find you know machines and holes and walls that you can interact with and you just plug everything that's in your pockets into everything else and hope that something happens uh that that's what this is <laughs> and <laughs> i don't like these kind of games uh they frustrate me i always have to consult a guide uh, to find out what to do next, which just immediately kills the experience for me because, you know, I've done it once, I may as well just follow a guide through the rest of the game, and then I'm not really doing anything except walking someplace and uh, plugging A into B like the guide says to do, and it's just it's just boring. And with all the discovery taken out of the game, I just don't enjoy it anymore. Uh, so there's a little more to Moon than that. It does have a clock system, uh a day-night system, uh, people have schedules that will change where they are in the world, so you have to kind of know where to go, but that just makes it worse because it takes those adventure standards of, you know, show them everything in your pockets. Well, now you not only have to show this character everything in your pockets, you have to show it to them in the morning and then show it them in the afternoon and show it to them at night to see if something <laughs> different happens. Uh, and there's no way to change the time of day you have to go and uh basically stand around <laughs> and wait for it to be the time of day for you to oh, yeah try to solve the next puzzle 
assuming you even know what the next puzzle you're working on is supposed to be and you're not just trying things to see if something happens. And uh, there's also... This is where it's kind of the anti-RPG thing. There's there's uh, love levels you have to build up where like if you solve a puzzle, uh, you earn love from the character. And uh, where the Undertale thing really comes in is it's set in a in a child's video game world. He uh, spends the first few minutes of the game playing this video game, which seems like this really standard Dragon Quest game. And then he goes to sleep and he gets sucked into the world somehow. Uh, and he walks around as this ghost, basically, uh, and sees what uh, an RPG protagonist looks like from the perspective of the other people in the world. So it's basically this huge knight in armor who is really monstrous looking uh, and just shows people out of the way, uh, makes has no respect for their personal space just walks through them to get where he's going uh walks into their back room and takes all their stuff and just kills everything that he gets in his way Uh, it's actually kind of a a terrifying creature i think this is the most effective part of the game is the way the hero is portrayed um and you find the bodies of the monsters he's killed just all over the place and if you can solve a puzzle to reunite their spirits with their bodies then you earn love from that too and i think this is the most interesting and successful part of the game is doing this Uh, but it's really just a form of grinding uh building your love levels up doesn't progress the game's story any anymore it it changes how long you can actually explore uh again this this goes into how annoying it makes it to do the adventure stuff of showing everybody everything in your pockets because your love level determines how long your character can walk around without dying uh and especially early on this was really annoying because i i I couldn't even survive an entire day uh without my love level, without my love draining completely, and then your character dies and goes back to the, your last save. So all the puzzles I'd solved that day um, were, were gone. <laughs> I had to go do them Jesus again. Christ. Yeah. Uh, so you until you get your love levels up, you have to make sure that you can get back to a bed and go back to sleep, which restores your love levels somehow. Uh, <laughs> but... After playing for a couple hours and solving enough puzzles, I had enough love levels that I could actually stay up several days in a row uh, without collapsing and having to do all my puzzles over again. But at the same time, if it did get into a situation where I got really deep into the world and didn't get back to a bed in time, I I would have to redo potentially uh, several dozen puzzles and uh, quite a bit of playtime. all over again, just because I didn't get back to a bed in time. Um, I quit. I, I, I gave up. Uh, <laughs> just based on not just the fact that I don't like these these old style adventure games that were really puzzle heavy and really arbitrary on on the things that you're supposed to plug into each other. Uh, there are a couple games like this that I have enjoyed, like mostly the Scum style games, but mm-hmm. not all of them are up to the level of games like you know like maniac mansion indiana jones and the fate of atlantis or the dig those are all really good adventure games i do enjoy them even though they have a lot of that 
obtuseness to it, abstruseness to it, and to how the puzzles are solved, but this game is not on the level of those kind of adventure games. I bailed. I bailed hard, because uh, I, I followed a guide to find out how to get something that I needed to progress, and the solution was I hadn't shown the right item to the right NPC at the right time of day yet, and then I had to get a bunch of other parts so I could build this rocket so I could go to the moon, like in the title, and that's where the end of the game is at, and reading where some of the parts were at, I was like, I'm done, I quit, <laughs> I give up, <laughs> uh... I am really disappointed they marketed this based entirely on its inspiration for Undertale. I totally believe that happened. I can see the inspirations there, especially with with the hero character. But this is not a game like Undertale. It's not an RPG uh, or a subversive RPG. This is a bog-standard 90s adventure game. And be aware of that before you play it. Be sure you know what you're getting into. <laughs> This is an older game. I could have easily researched what it was uh, before buying it, but I just I got it off the commercial, which is always a mistake. <laughs> Don't recommend. Wow. Yeah, which is uh, weird for such a, a lauded, lauded game. It sounds like an awful experience. Uh, okay, uh, I'll go again. Uh, I've been wanting to play this now for a couple of weeks, but Oddworld Munch's Odyssey... Uh, either you two Oddworld fans? Never played one. I've never played one. I want to play Stranger's Wrath. Um, mm -hmm. And I have some Oddworld game pre-ordered. <laughs> I don't know which one it is. It might be... The new and tasty. Yeah, the new and tasty is probably the one it is. Uh, but it's not out in the US so yet, so... So new and tasty is a remake of the original. Uh, so I think for Munch's Odyssey, you do need to give a bit of context around what Oddworld is. Uh, so Oddworld started off in the PS1 era. It was originally planned as a five-game anthology series, focusing on a different setting for each game. Uh, that got shelved once they realised how marketable Abe was, who is the main character from the first game, Abe's Odyssey. Uh, and the series has only shown its anthology side once since, with Stranger's Wrath, which is a first-person shooter, which is very different in tone. Uh, so... This is a direct follow-on to Abe's Odyssey and uh, Abe's Exodus, its sequel. Uh, so in the first game, Abe has to escape Rupture Farms, which is a, a food manufacturing company where they're killing uh, the Earth's, sorry, the Oddworld's creatures to turn into uh, exciting meat snacks. Uh, and Abe's escape is triggered by the fact that his race is the is the focus of the latest snack. Uh, so his race are called uh, Madokans. So he escapes Rutcher Farms, he saves a bunch of his uh, species. Uh, then in the second one, they combat Rupture Farms again, uh, this time trying to take down the latest product. So there, there is a new Oddworld game coming out next year, I think, called Soulstorm. Uh, Exodus focuses on Soulstorm, so I don't know if it's been explicitly stated, but I reckon that's going to be a remake or an exploration of what happens in Abe's Exodus. Uh, so yeah, so that also continues Abe's story. Munch's Odyssey was the 
series first transition into like a 3D world. It, it kind of, I'm hesitant to call it a puzzle platformer because there's not that much platforming, but it's certainly a 3D uh, action adventure in that sort of mold. Um, so yeah, so Abe is playable in this one, uh, as is the uh, titular character Munch. Uh, you you actually start off as Abe, who has all his abilities from the previous games, so he can fart critically. Uh, he can rescue other Madokans. He can get them to follow him. He can have them perform tasks. Uh, you can also uh, hypnotize enemies and get control them for a bit. Uh, so the whole point of this is you're, you're going through the through a series of levels you have to collect this stuff called uh, spoose which you can use to unlock doors you can spend it to resurrect uh, fallen madokans uh, and you can regrow the spoose pods by praying next to them so you, you've always got a plentiful supply you're not going to get stuck or undone in a puzzle as you might have done in the previous games uh, and then you can also play as uh, Munch, so it switches between them in the early portion of the game before putting them together. Uh, Munch is like a one-legged fish stroke frog thing. Uh, he can't jump, but he can swim. Uh, he can jump out of water really high, but uh, useless on land. And he can use an electricity power to rescue creatures called Fuzzles, which are actually ammo in Stranger's Wrath. FYI. Uh, and he's also got a sonar ability to help him find things. So the story, much like the others, is uh, Munch's race gets taken by a big fishing net. He's the only survivor. He goes looking for them and then he gets captured afterwards. Uh, Abe is tasked with saving him. Munch has already got his plans to escape and then they convene. And that, that's when the game gets really interesting in terms of its... Uh, puzzle setup. Uh, the game improved massively once they're together. So you switch between them and you make use of both their uh, like, uh, unique abilities to, to work your way from point A to point B. There's a lot of exploration in between, lots of optional things. One of the side things in, these, in all these games is that you're rescuing uh, other species from being captured. Uh, so Abe can save his uh, Madokans, much like he can in the core games. Uh, and Munch saves these fuzzles, you get them to portals to get them out so they're free and then you get sort of like it's called Karma, spelled Q-U-A-R-M-A um, I think this is what tracks towards which ending you get at the end, which was also true of the previous games so you, it's a, a good idea to save as many as you can some of them will die in combat combat's pretty simple as, as Abe, he's pretty useless as a combatant, so he can point all his minions that you've got with you at an enemy, and it's kind of funny to watch like five or six Madokans kick a you know scary-looking dog to death. That, that was quite humorous. <laughs> um, Munch can uh, pick up uh, like a an electricity ability to like shock enemies to death. Takes a while. Uh, and actually those sorts of power-ups, they both get them. They're done in the form of uh, vending machines uh, from Rocha Farms who you know have, have a product you can use. So there's one called Bounce, which will allow Abe to jump higher. Uh, there's Espresso, which makes him run quicker. Uh, 
the problem with these is they're vending machines. They're aimed at you know selling products to people. They're always in. They're not in places that make sense for a vending machine. They're just placed where they're beneficial to someone trying to solve a puzzle. So this means that a lot of the areas feel uh, purpose built to solve rather than you know being actual areas where the the creatures that are in it would live or operate. It, it it's like a like an assault course rather than a proper sort of environment. Um, that also stretches into whenever you encounter like a new mechanic, there's like a big information station right next to it, which is uh, especially like when you're trying to escape from rupture farms, it's awfully convenient of them to leave, you know, big escape tips next to the things you can use to aid your escape when they, you know, they want to stop that. Um, I'm going to put that down to age, although the, the previous games didn't suffer that as much. Uh, and of course this is a it's a remaster of an Xbox One game it's not a remake so although uh, the character models look great uh, levels definitely look like original Xbox levels it sort of depends as well on if you're like inside Rutcher Farms like levels look more condensed they look uh, they look better from that whereas a lot of Abe's levels and the ones I've had since they've been United, they're wide open and there's a lot of like distance fogging and all that even though it's you know running on more powerful hardware than it used to. Uh, one other problem I'm having is that the sound levels, the voice is very quiet, uh, music and sound is very loud and there's no subtitles option so I'm missing a lot of the story content. I'm gonna have to play around with the sound options but there wasn't a great deal to play around with again given its age, accessibility, not really high on the cards back in those days so yeah, Verdict uh, I love Oddworld as a world and as a concept uh, I'm enjoying the puzzly gameplay but it comes with the caveat of that it's hurt by its era specific elements, uh, particularly the, the lack of thought into the world itself as to how it would be a believable operating world uh, instead of just being purpose-built for a player, which is, you know, all video games, everything's built for the player, but, you know, there are ways to circumvent that feeling, uh, and that's not something that they did here. Uh, so far, um, I looked at a guide earlier, I reckon I'm approaching the halfway point, and it's, I, my gut feeling is it's probably the weakest of the Odd World series. Uh, I think it's telling that outside of Stranger's Wrath, which is an FPS, they haven't really returned to 3D action, even in the, the remakes. The, they've gone back to 2.5D. Uh, but yeah, I'm enjoying it, but I think I'm going to end up enjoying it more from a historical point of view uh, rather than a, you know, a timeless classic sort of point of view. Yeah, that's where I am with that. It's a uh, mixed opinion so far. Uh, it's fun, but it's got age-old problems. Mm-hmm. Tori. Yes. You have been playing Sayonara Wild Hearts. Yes, I have. Um, so I believe I mentioned on the last episode that I'm a big fan of music, rhythm sort of games. Mm-hmm. So this has always been on my radar since I saw it. I think they showed it off during one of their indie world presentations. I can't remember. But... Um, 
finally picked it up because it was on sale. Uh, so it is a music rhythm game. Uh, the rhythm part is a bit of a loose interpretation. I'll get more into detail with that. But if you're after something that's very like hit notes to the beat, this isn't it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more structured like the entire game is an album and each level is a different song. Um, each song, so each level has sort of different influences, different genres, nothing too drastic from each other, but it is interesting that they're kind of experimenting by combining, you know, there are, there are levels that outright, I thought it was a church's song, um, Hmm. but they also kind of combine the genre with the gameplay. So there's one short level where, um, a character kind of drugs you and not drugs like how do you say it like you know like homer's spiritual journey when he ate that chili it was more like that um and it goes into like a reggae dub sort of rhythm and the world kind of pulsates with that rhythm and it's really disorienting but it's really cool but, um, hmm. yeah, they also play around with some sort of trap songs and pop songs. It's more poppy than anything else. Uh, there are, like, set-piece songs with a lot of sort of intermission songs in between. Um, they're, they're called, like, heartbreak levels, and it kind of teaches you in a safe level just, like, what's coming up. Like, teaches you new mechanics and it dedicates it to a little level that doesn't really push the, the overall story forward. It just, it, it's really thoughtful on how they've done, done this. It's also got a really fascinating art style. Uh, the colors, it's like flat colors, not too much in like the gradients. It's like a pinkish purple palette, but they kind of rely on this sort of faceted look like a low poly I guess you'd call that but kind of like gemstone sort of designs on uh, certain things but I really like that the levels have the more dark purples and then you have the characters that are brighter colors that pop which you really Mm -hmm. need because you need to concentrate on where you are in relation to the level Um, which does kind of lead on to the, the overall motif of the game uh tarot card seems to be the heaviest motif like outright there are tarot card based uh concepts in the game it's more of a superficial interpretation of tarot cards rather than like a deep it's not like persona where it's like they're kind of representing archetypes of um people or concepts it's just Quite literally, you have the Wheel of Fortune card that turns into a motorcycle. It's... I also really liked you had um, Justice and Judgment, and they turned into machine guns that attach to your motorcycle. <laughs> that sounds very Devil May Cry. Yeah. It's amazing how many games actually have tarot themes to them. Um, each level and all of the different characters have a sort of different uh arcana tied to them like and this is what i mean by superficial the overall baddie is the death arcana and if you know even a little bit about tarot you know that death isn't 
the bad guy in the tarot deck. It just symbolizes change. And then this, mm-hmm. the outright, the baddie. But going back to like with the Wheel of Fortune being a motorcycle, that actually plays into the, the bulk of the gameplay. Um, a lot of the levels are basically just you're riding a motorcycle. You don't have any control over the speed, just the, the steering. Uh, some levels will have a sort of boss fight where you're, you're chasing the enemy characters through the level. And uh, sometimes, and this is the most rhythmic part of the game, sometimes there are QTEs or quick time events. So you have to push a button at a certain point to dodge an attack or land a blow or something like that. Or even just dodge obstacles on the course. Because the other bulk of the uh, most of the levels is collecting hearts and i think only a couple of times i noticed that collecting the hearts was in time to the music it's not um you're not collecting the hearts to the rhythm it's not like guitar hero or anything like that they're just there typically to guide you onto like a safe um path uh it does there is a score mechanic as well you can get rated on uh different I think it's bronze, silver, and gold, depending on how you go with the score, how in time things are. Luckily, if you do get hit by an obstacle or miss one of the QTEs, it's like a really forgiving mechanic where it just kind of throws you back to the last checkpoint. There's no delay. It just throws you right back in. And it only happened once, but one of the Arcana, the magician, will show up if you're having a lot of trouble. She'll just come in and say, I can grant your wish and just help you skip this part. Um, which is really good accessibility, I think, because it does get really hectic. Yeah, I get that, but I always feel insulted when that sort of thing happens. Yeah. Mario games are a sucker for that. Hey, do you want the no. golden lead? No, I do not. <laughs> I want to do it on my own merit. Thank Shut you up, Luigi. Quit offering. Yeah, <laughs> go away, Luigi. Luigi doesn't show up here. But, um, yeah, so that's why I'm saying it's more of a music game rather than a rhythm game. Um, the music is more of the, the theme of the game rather than it being too tied to the um, the overall mechanic of, you know, getting your high score or beating the enemy or what have you. So the music's the theme rather than the point. Yeah, it yeah. it's. I was a little disappointed by that because I was hoping that it would be very strongly tied together. Um, but I'm I'm not too upset. Like the rest of the experience, more than makes up for it. Um, a, a lot of levels, it builds up a sort of expectation of what the game is going to be like, and then very quickly starts doing some crazy things. Mm-hmm. Like boss battles, um, and it's all around all about positioning, really. More about positioning than rhythm. Um, the rhythm is more like a, a reward for completing the positioning parts, like dodging enemy attacks and and the like. There's one level in particular that stood out to me. Um, I don't know if I'd consider it a spoiler in this sort of game. The the narrative isn't really... It's it's not really a spoiler. 
uh, story-wise, more of an experience-wise, but there's one part that completely just defies everything else that the game has done. It's more of a 2D Geometry Wars sort of experience rather than a 3D over-the-shoulder motorcycle level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the art style? I don't know if you know um, Homestar Runner, but there's that one character that this is made out of like vector lines and he says, your head explode. Very obscure reference, probably. Um, yeah, I don't know that. <laughs> no. And like I said, story-wise, not a huge amount there. There's barely any dialogue. Um, it really just comes from like a narrator, which I learned today was Queen Latifah. Hmm. But she drives the, the story forward. It's kind of like a sort of maternal feeling from the narration. Um, the overall vibe of the story and the setting is about finding balance um instead of trying to like eliminate emotional baggage from your life just trying to kind of find a way to to live with it and move forward mm-hmm. and i thought that was quite lovely and it, it doesn't really hit home until right at the end and uh, i think any anybody can kind of draw their own personal interpretation of it as well it's it's quite open in that regard and uh you can replay it it obviously it's got the score feature so you can always try and go for like a perfect run or what have you i think there are more features that i haven't unlocked you can kind of go for like you play the entire album in a row and it's like an accumulative score rather than per level as well uh and there's another mode that i don't know what it is yet but um yeah, beautiful, beautiful game. Highly recommend it if you can get it at a good price and you like uh, the sort of music, the genre of the music. It's been on my must-play list for quite a while, but I've not picked it up yet. Um, not least because I understand it's like two hours long, which always helps. It's Yeah, it's very short. I actually smashed it out today. <laughs> ah, nice. Um, in my head, whenever someone says it's like a motorcycle combat game, I just think it's uh, the gameplay from Final Fantasy VII and Cloud Sections. That's actually a good comparison. Uh, ah, okay. Um, and it, it'll it'll spice it up as well. Um, all of the levels are completely different from each other. Some of them rely more on the motorcycle than the others. Yeah, it's that's a good comparison, actually. I should have gone with that. <laughs> That sounds pretty cool. Andrew, have you had this on a watch list or anything? I have, but the price tag, like, not to say that it's expensive, but if I don't buy something at launch, I I usually hold out for a deep discount sale on it, and it just hasn't dropped under $5 yet. Uh, It sounds good. I've always been interested in it. I just, I haven't picked it up yet. Yeah, I I was of the same mindset before I just went, screw it and bought it and I loved it but uh, yeah everyone's got a different price (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so moving on uh, Assassin's Creed 3 Andrew you went over this uh, the core game a couple of weeks back Uh, you've been checking out the tyranny of King Washington which I guess is DLC yeah this is a post game campaign that was released episodically after the game was released Um, Hmm. 
So it's a, it's a much smaller, more streamlined Assassin's Creed experience. It's set in an alternate timeline from the original game. So this is alternate history of alternate history, uh, where uh, follow... So it's actual history. Uh, I, <laughs> I hope not. Uh, following the, the U.S. Revolutionary War, uh, President Washington finds a piece of precursor technology, one of the apples of Eden, and goes mad with power and declares himself king and starts having uh, his subjects build a pyramid in New York City, which was the capital of the United States when Washington was president. A little fact there for you. And uh, mm -hmm. Raton Okiton, who is the main character, who, who goes by Connor in the main game, but I, I prefer to call him that name because... I didn't get into this before, but the main game gives every impression. He prefers to be called that, but everybody just calls him Connor because they don't want to say his real name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he has his memories of the original Assassin's Creed 3 timeline in this, uh, but he, he wakes up one day and suddenly his mom is alive again and all this stuff is happening. Uh, so he, he sets out to stop King Washington and... As I said, it's a streamlined Assassin's Creed experience. Uh, it's actually very combat-focused. Uh, almost everywhere I went, I, I was fighting up to a dozen enemies at a time, and I always had to fight them off before I could interact with whatever I was trying to interact with, because there are just soldiers everywhere in this version of the game. And uh, I, I think that's going to be hit or miss, depending upon how you like to play Assassin's Creed, but personally, I really enjoy the counter-kill mechanic in the earlier Assassin's Creed, so I was all for this. Is like, really? I can spend hours just, just counter-killing enemies, which is a, a really enjoyable experience. I mean, it, it, is it easy? Yes. Is it satisfying? Oh, yes. It's so much fun. <laughs> so I didn't mind that at all. <laughs> uh, and I, I am not an American indigenous person or First Nations person, obviously, so I, I didn't... I can't really give an authentic reaction to this, but I did feel like the main game did a really good job of avoiding, avoiding the magical Native American trope. Like, it, it, it portrays the Native Americans fairly authentically. There was actually a lot of uh, actual Native Americans involved in the creation of that game. All the Native American characters were voiced by actual Native Americans, which was a really nice thing for Ubisoft to, to do. They, they could have mm -hmm. very easily ignored that, and very few people would have noticed, uh, but they went to the extra effort to actually honor the few people who would, which was great. But then in this game, they uh, or this, this add-on expansion, they gave the main character magical Native American powers. <laughs> he mm. can turn invisible uh, using the power of the wolf. He can summon a wolf pack. Uh, he can turn into an eagle to fly between vantage points, which is actually the main way I got around once I got that power. So it, it completely changes how how uh, I traverse an Assassin's Creed game. And also he can turn into a bear and s smash everything around him. Uh <laughs> I haven't really seen many reactions to that that change to it, but I I thought it was interesting that they avoided that route in the base game and then just went whole hog in this. Uh, but <laughs> just being shorter and more focused, telling um, a simpler story, uh, and I think it also showed that they had more time to 
develop this and focus on it uh, and not rush it to meet a deadline, uh, it plays much better. I didn't feel like the missions were as shallow and uh, I, I didn't get I didn't run into as many quirks <laughs> in in the game design in in this. Uh, I think it's a more refined experience. Uh, I, I enjoyed it a bit more than the base game. Uh, I think it's a worthy addition if you're if you enjoyed Assassin's Creed 3, you should definitely make time for the tyranny of King Washington if you haven't played it. Cool. So I'm going to finish off. Uh, I nearly wasn't going to put it on the notes, but I've, I've played enough where I just want to go over my early impressions. Uh, I picked up uh, Yes, Your Grace on sale uh, alongside Blasphemous as well. I got that on the eShop uh, for a decent price, so I'm going to play that at some point soon. Uh, so Yes, Your Grace, uh, the best way to sort of summarize it is that it's kind of like a Ned Stark decision simulator. A uh, lot of Game of Thrones comparisons to make with us. Uh, so it's obviously not set in the Game of Thrones world, but you are a king uh, who is in his walled-off kingdom that's not completely unlike Winterfell, uh, and you must balance your resources to manage your kingdom ahead of a, a big battle. Kind of feels like a the concept is like an expanded play on reigns. Uh, so each day you start with people coming into your throne room and asking for help. Uh, so examples that I've had in the early game is uh, someone's daughter was kidnapped. The kidnappers have asked for 12 gold, but I know where they went. What do you want to do? Uh, so you, there you decide if you want to give the guy the gold or if you want to send one of your generals uh, to go and try and find where they are. Uh, the problem is you only have one general. Uh, several people might need him. Uh, so there's a lot of flexibility in in how you manage that, but basically you have uh, resource levels. There's four. There's like gold, food, army. Uh, there's a fourth one. I forget what it is, but uh, yeah, you have to try and keep everything above water while trying to help out people. Uh, with that, you can get uh, bank loans and food loans and all, all that sort of thing with interest. So you have to play some long game in, in terms of your planning. Uh, the game does warn you that simply having some resources when you start each day is good enough. So it sounds like these decisions will get very, very difficult very quickly. In, and I get the sense that you're going to hit a point where you can't please everyone uh, in your kingdom. Uh, there's a side story running al along with it about the king and his family. Uh, so you chat with his family and followers. Uh, in downtime, you can explore the castle. Uh, there's here are some of the more Game of Thrones comparisons. There there are people who serve you that you might not be able to trust, or is, that's the impression I'm getting. Uh, he has two daughters that fight constantly. One's a tomboy, the other one's prim and proper, and is worried about who you're going to marry her off to. Uh, you can see the the analogs there, uh, and it's tied together with this beautiful music uh, that fits the setting. Uh, and it's all done in this really great pixel art style like the the scenery uh, there's like still scenery moments where it just looks uh, just looks great uh, and the gameplay bits are more uh, simplified but you know they still look terrific um, so I've been playing this one sort of before sleep every night uh, played probably around an hour collectively over, across a couple of nights I'm digging it so far 
uh, gut feeling says I'm going to end up liking this one a lot, but it depends on uh, how those choices go, I guess, and uh, what the loose state is. I haven't really figured that out. So, yeah, uh, early impressions so far so good. It kind of reminds me, just at a surface level, of um, My Life is King. Hmm. Not played that one. Uh, it was what Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Oh on yeah, the okay. E- eShop. Yeah, that's where you play an NPC, and yet the heroes come and visit you, right? You play as the king, and you kind of have to yeah, like figure out what to do that day, build something, or mm. send send them away. Yeah, yeah, I have heard of that. Um, yeah, so that's that. I think that's it for the episode. Okay, what are we playing this coming week, Andrew? Uh, we very generously got a code from the publisher for a game called Ari and the Secret of Seasons, which I'm assuming is some kind of cooking game. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a 3D platformer. I'll play it. Yeah, I'll play it next week. <laughs> <laughs> and Tori, I don't have anything lined up at the moment actually um i've got some fighting games that i want to to have a look at on the switch so mm. nice yeah. uh and i'm just gonna finish off munch's odyssey and play more yes your grace so, yeah that'll be it i think till the mario stuff hits <laughs> yeah. okay that's episode 125 uh, thanks for listening to the episode if you enjoyed it, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get notice. You can also listen on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows. We're part of the Game Podular Network. Uh, the other shows are PlayState and The Power of X. Uh, join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links for all those are in the show notes. If you want to support the network and uh, by virtue our show you can buy us a coffee or you can become a game podular patreon details for both those things are on our website thanks in advance this episode was edited by me andy corrigan and you can follow all three of us individually on twitter i'm at flamerous toast andrew is at play critically and tori is at stew2 that's s-t-w-t-w-o
I've got no scrubs playing in my head now. <laughs> How did that happen? There's a line about Shy Guys. Oh. <laughs> to be clear, they're not on about Mario Shy Guys. Well, when I listen to the song, they will be. Yes. 